So as we move next into the Babylonian implications that we're looking at this evening, I'd like to expand this concept beyond the issue of what we talked last week about was, was psychology and the, the, the modern understanding of how, how for a person to be mentally healthy and emotionally healthy. Since most of us watching aren't actually crazy, <laughs> at least <laughs> hopefully not, um, it would be easy to miss how much more fundamental these issues are than just mental health, right? I mean, how many people that are going to watch this spend, are going to spend seven years eating grass with the cattle, right? Uh, probably no one. Um, and, and so tonight, we'll impact this, uh, unpack this with implication number eight. So here's your blank. Humanity's belief in our self-determination. Ready? This is really key. Humanity's belief in our self-determination is an illusion. So as we begin, I want us to look at a kingpin passage from one of the prophets. It's from Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. And here's what it says. I know, O Lord, that humanity's way is not in themselves, nor is it in the one who walks to direct their own steps. Now this is a classic understated passage that is incredibly profound but it's easy to read right past without picking up how amazing and how counterintuitive and how counterculture that statement is. This is so important. I want you to write the verse down, starting with the first part right here, right? We'll come back to the second part a little later. Look at this. I know, here's your blank. I know, O oh Lord, that humanity's way is not in themselves. So let's stop for a minute. And let that sink in. Do you know how unique this idea is among all the worldviews that have ever emerged throughout human history? I'd like to elaborate on this passage so we'll actually see its significance. And I'll do this by working through a series of facts. And I'm indebted to amazing uh, theologian Dennis Kinlaw for some of these uh, insights. I've expanded on it, but, uh, but he really... Um, he really put together kind of the basis for drawing out this amazing uh, passage. So here's fact number one. Fact number one, here's your blank. Humans are not self-originating. We're not self-originating. No one ever chose to come into being. We had nothing to do with it. We didn't determine where, when, or under what circumstances we'd be born. In fact, we had absolutely no control whatsoever over whether we would be born or not. Now, as an emergency physician, this is really obvious. <laughs> uh, so think about this with me. When a baby, when that baby's coming, right? I've delivered, I don't know how many babies I've delivered in the emergency department. You know, sometimes they come fast and sometimes they can't get there. And, and so there they are in the ER uh, dropping the baby. And when the baby's coming, it doesn't matter whether mama wants to keep it from happening or the medic wants to keep it from happening, boy, they really don't like it to deliver in the ambulance, or the nurses don't want it to be happening, no, 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 get them up to labor and delivery, get them out of here, right? Um, none of that matters. The baby's going to be born, and there ain't nothing going to stop it. When that baby's coming, it's coming. And least of all, think about this, least of all, even if the baby had the mental capacity to be able to say, you know, I like it in here. It's really warm and cozy in this womb. You know, I don't think I'm coming out. That, of course, would be, even if they had the capacity, that would be an utterly, completely futile thought on the part of the baby. 
Because see, we have nothing to do with originating our existence. The life of every single person who has ever lived came from the life of another. Right? We have nothing to do with originating our existence. And here's a fact, right? Here it is, a fact of existence. Write it in. Humans, here's your blank, humans are totally dependent upon the decisions and actions of others to even exist. Let me say that again. Humans are totally dependent upon the decisions and actions of others to even exist. It gets more powerful. Fact number two. Here's your blank. Fact number two. Humans are not self-explanatory. So we're not self-originating. We're also not self-explanatory. This truth has been totally missed by modern thought. Look again at Jeremiah 10.23. I know, O Lord, that humanity's way is not in themselves, nor is it in the one who walks to direct their own steps. Now look at this. In the, in the first phrase, right, the phrase that humanity's way is not in themselves, the Hebrew word there is Adam. Now you may know that. We, we get the proper noun Adam for the man who was the first created human. Um, but Adam here is not that. Adam here means humanity or mankind. It is the collective human race, Adam. So that's what it says in the first phrase, humanity's way is not in themselves. All of the human race we cannot uh, explain or determine ourselves, right? Or originate ourselves. Um, but the second phrase, right? Nor is it in the one who walks to direct their own steps. There, the Hebrew word for the one who walks is the word ish, I-S-H. It's the word for an individual human, a single person. So think about it. Neither humanity as a whole, Adam, the human race, or as an individual, ish, the single person, are self-existent or self-explanatory, this passage covers both. So let me illustrate this with two key concepts. Here we go. Key concept number one. Here's your blank. It's impossible to take a picture of a typical human being. <laughs> Hard stop. Has this ever occurred to you? It's impossible to take a picture of a typical human being. Now, why is this the case? Because a typical human being has never existed on the face of the earth. Not even Adam was a typical human being. Think about this. God looked at Adam by himself as an individual and he said, not good. Not good. Now, by the way, <laughs> there, will be, there are and there will be wives who are listening who have looked at your husband and said the same thing, but <laughs> for different reasons than God, right? Now, why did God say, not good? The answer is because Adam was incomplete in himself. Having just male human beings wasn't adequate to understand humanity. God was subjecting us to the unalterable futility. Are you ready? There's no way you can observe a human being and explain what a human being is. This is astounding to think about. You ready? That leads to, I'm going to unpack this with examples so it will make sense. <clears throat> it won't just be philosophical. Ready? Key concept number two. 
To explain a human being, you ready? To explain a human being, you have to have two. Now turn with me to Genesis, the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and look at these magnificent two verses, the start of verse 26 first. Then God said, let us make man in our image. We'll come back to this uh, for the profoundness that's here, right? According to our likeness, verse 27, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Okay, contained within this passage is enough truth to fill an entire theological library, and in fact it has. So let me give some examples to unpack this so it'll make sense to us and not just be deep theology, right? Precept number one. Precept number one. Here's your blank. God has built the inescapable unity in diversity of humanity into creation. Let me say that again. God has built the inescapable unity and diversity of humanity into the creation. So most people know that the ultimate end of all classical philosophy has been to resolve the problem of finding unity in diversity. In fact, that's what the word university means in Greek. The university is supposed to be the place where the PhD, which is a doctor of philosophy, which even if you're a chemist or a astrophysicist, you're a doctor of philosophy because all of uh, academia is supposed to be headed for answering this issue, this question of how do you find unity in diversity, right? Um, so let me show you how God's brilliance was in creating the human race that inescapably forces everyone to acknowledge the way that he has put humanity together. In 1972, NASA launched the Pioneer uh, spacecraft into space, and it was the first spacecraft to ever leave the solar system, right? It actually escaped the solar system. That was the plan. <clears throat> it was true of also Pioneer t uh, 11. Uh, and on the ship, they placed what they called the Pioneer plaque to try to com commemorate information about the Earth and about humanity to any intelligent life that might ultimately encounter the craft. So it was like sending it out there, and the idea was, if there's intelligent life out there somewhere, someday, um, it'll be there. And so this is almost 50 years ago. It's, it's, it's more than 13 billion miles out into to interstellar space now, right? Um, and uh, on this aluminum plaque, they put pictures that represent the sun and the planets and a hydrogen atom. They also put the location of the Earth triangulated with distances from 14 interstellar pulsars, right? So, so they would know where we are potentially if they were intelligent enough to be out there that probably they would be able to triangulate off of that and know where this thing came from, from the Earth. But the most striking visual image is the de depiction of the human race. Why? Because they couldn't just depict one human. Guess what? On the pioneer plaque are two humans a man, and a woman. So think about this. This was supposedly a completely secular, generic, objective description of humanity. In fact, the plaque was designed by Carl Sagan, who is a renowned atheist. 
But Sagan, apparently without even knowing it, was making a most profound statement about the overarching power that God has over humanity. You see, the plaque on the spacecraft that is now many billions of miles from here is simply a modern restatement of Genesis 1.27. Write it in. Here it is. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, this is lousy grammar, but this next statement that I want you to write in is incredible theology. You ready about this? How did God put humanity together? Him is them, and them is him. Humanity is man and woman. Man and woman is humanity. So, there is no single typical human being. You can't explain humanity without a man and a woman. And not even the bureaucrats in the U.S. government could get around it. Humanity isn't a man. Humanity isn't a woman. Humanity is a man and a woman together. There's no way to get around it. Humanity is inherently, you ready? Inherently unity in diversity. Unity, one humanity, in diversity, male and female. No way around it. The essence of the unity of human existence is found in the diversity of a male and a female. And notice, it's out of our male-female diversity that we get creativity. Think about this. Only the relationship expressing the diversity between a man and a woman can produce a new human being. It's the only way it can happen. A man and a woman. That's where the creativity comes from them being together. So it's absolutely futile to say that humanity can be explained by a single person of a single type. We cannot. Humanity is only explained by male and female, different, diverse, and yet together in unity. So think about the origination of the human race. When God created Adam, right, when God created humanity, he created them male and female. This established the futility of trying to be self-explanatory as an isolated individual. So you can't explain humanity by any one person. Some of the great literature of the world exposes this futility, right? All of us have heard the great pronouncements in classical writings that are best summarized in the famous phrase, no one is an island. No one is an island. Can you believe the author had the audacity to think that he thought that up? No. He was rephrasing Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, whether he knew it or not. So let me give you another theological precept that flows from this passage. This is one of the biggest surprises that I've ever stumbled into in Scripture. You ready? Precept number two, the unity in diversity of God. Here's the biblical foundation. Ready? Here comes your blank. Write it in. The very passage that makes it impossible to explain humanity using a single person also makes it impossible to explain God using a single person. How can this be? Look back at the first chapter of the Bible. Look at verse 26 again. Then God said, let us... So there are cults that have tried to get rid of that plural pronoun. 
but it's there in the Hebrew. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Verse 27. Now notice what's flowing, flowing from this. Then God said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All right, so write it in. Here's the fundamental nature of God. Ready? God is both him. I'm using the classic Hebrew terms right out of the text, okay? God is both him and them. God is both singular and plural. This is why you find Jesus saying, isn't this amazing? Think about it. This is why Jesus, Jesus can say, the Father and I are one. And it's also possible for Jesus to talk to his Father as a personality that's distinct from himself. One God, but able to communicate with each other because they're not one person. They're one God. Thus, you can't explain God by looking at the Father alone. Neither can you explain God by looking only at Jesus or only at the Holy Spirit alone. So why can't you explain humanity using a single person? Because God created humanity in his image, and you can't explain God as a single person. So this shows how overarching the doctrine of the Trinity is. Okay, you ready? Write it in. It's only in his oneness and in their distinctiveness. You ready? Think about this again. The doctrine of the Trinity. It's only in his oneness and one God and in their distinctiveness, three persons, that we understand God in his fullness. Any one of them alone is not the one God. The one God is the perfect unity in the diversity of the three persons of the Godhead. That's why Jehovah's Witnesses don't worship the God of the Bible, because the Father alone is not God. As soon as they remove the Son and the Spirit from his being, you no longer have the biblical God. You have a Unitarian God, and a Unitarian God is not the God of the Bible. Unless we have the one God in relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we don't have the one true God who created human beings, ready, in his own image. So just like you cannot explain God by a single person, it takes all three in perfect relationship, you can't explain humanity except using two persons in relationship, and it even says it on the Pioneer 10 plaque that's 13 billion miles from here, showing the universe that humans only have the unity in the diversity of male and female. It's astounding, isn't it? So, return to Jeremiah 10, 23 with me, and now write in the second part. Ready? <coughs> I know, O oh Lord, that humanity's way is not in themselves, nor is it in the one who walks to direct their own steps. So let me tag up for a moment to explain once more why we're spending time on these kinds of issues in a series on the end times, right? I want you to know where we are in the mini-series, within the mini-series, within the big end time series. Because we're immersed in a culture that says, I determine who I am and where I go, what I do. 
I determine what's right for me and what is my identity is. I determine my identity. Nobody else can tell me who I am or what I am. I'm the center of my universe and no one has the right to question my self-determination. And who does that sound exactly like? <laughs> we studying it, studied him in detail last week. It sounds exactly like Nebuchadnezzar. So guess where we're living today? We're living in Babylon. We're living in confusion. And so in a series on the end times, when we're studying how central Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are to understanding eschatology, if all we did was give the prophetic timeline for the last days that flow out of the book of Daniel, and it's impressive, and we will go through the details, and you will be stunned with the perfect resonance between this and the book of Revelation in the New Testament, all of that. But if, we did, if that's all we did, and we didn't teach the prophetic message from this incredible passage, then we'd be missing one of the two great reasons why this book is in the canon of Scripture. So think about it. We're working on the facts that flow from implication number eight, right? That humanity's belief in our self-determination is an illusion. And we looked at fact number one, humans aren't self-originating. And fact number two, humans aren't self-explanatory. Now comes fact number three. Humans are not self-directing. Now, in many places, the word points out what happens when people forget the precept that we just said, we just said right? That we're not self-directing. At the end of the book of Judges, the nation of Israel has become spectacularly wicked. And guess what the book ends with? The commentary says, everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Last chapter of Judges. They wanted to see, they wanted to direct their own steps. But in the very same way that God made it futile for NASA to put one human on the plaque in the spacecraft, he also surrounded us with obvious evidence that we aren't self-directing. Now, it begins with something as simple as being blindfolded. As soon as we lose perspective on the environment outside our own personal space, we become totally helpless. And so now I have a volunteer here tonight who's going to uh, show, help illustrate this issue of being what happens when we humans are blindfolded, right? So my uh, waiting for my blindfolded uh, volunteer to come in here, and then we'll be set. So I got my blindfold, now I need... Now I need my volunteer. <laughs> is my volunteer coming? Yep. All right. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to explain. This is a, this, you can't see it on the floor, but right here there is a, I've taped off an area that's a, a place on a cliff. Here you go. Come stand here and put your blindfold on, sweetie. Uh, stand right here. And this is a, this is a walkway that goes this way, and on every single side, except this walkway that's about 15 inches wide, which if she stays on that, she's just fine, but every other way is a cliff. So I'm going to move you forward here, move you forward, and then I'm going to start turning you around, okay? And then, uh, after I turn you around, and I'm turning around too, so you have no idea where you are, okay, what you're going to do is you are going to 
decide which way you're going to walk, and I just want you to start walking, and I want you to see what happens. Now, remember, you're on a cliff, so be really careful, right? So let's see you, let's see you figure out which way you're going to go. Start walking. Start walking. Okay, you're dead. <laughs> that was it. Boy, she lasted that long. Okay, thank you, sweetie. <laughs> thank you, appreciate it. So, boom, off the cliff. Now, that's a very simple illustration, but now, now track with me here, okay? Um, this is important for the whole church to understand, right? Humanity's way is not in themselves, nor it is, is it in the one who walks to direct their own paths or their own steps. Did you realize that every seeing-eye dog is a testimony that humanity's way is not in themselves? Not long ago, a famous talk show host was telling how important it is to have a good psychoanalyst. This is, you know, I love these. Uh, you can imagine how much I love these doctor shows uh, on TV. Um, and his main point was to say, this, this psychoanalyst was to say, that the key issue in life is to get your mind and yourself under your own control. Right? He stated that this is what makes and creates the basis, here comes your blanks, the basis for freedom, maturity, and fulfillment. You ready for this? From the world's perspective, the basis for freedom, maturity, and fulfillment. Number one, here's your blank, knowing yourself. Number two, knowing what's right for you. And number three, based upon this knowledge of one and two, take control of where you're going. There it is. This talk show host gave us a spectacular description of the illusion that modern humanity lives under. The reason this doesn't work is because we're all spiritually blindfolded. But let's take this a step farther, okay? Let's remove, I'm going to give more examples and I think the light will really come on. Uh, let's remove the blindfold and let the person see. Did you know that even if a person has perfect eyesight, it's still absolutely impossible for them to walk in a straight line without an external frame of reference? Every backpacker knows this truth, right? That's why the moss on the north side of the tree is so important. Otherwise, what do they do? They walk around in circles in the forest. Every sailor that moves beyond the sight of land knows that they must have an external frame of ref reference, right? They can't navigate without a star or a compass or a satellite. Can't happen. And for a farmer to plow straight furrows in a field, guess what? They must identify a point at the opposite end of the field and they drive toward that fixed point. Without this, they'll inevitably end up with curved, misdirected furrows. That's even if they have perfect eyesight. And how about aviation? Think about this one. In every aircraft, the FAA mandates an instrument that shows a horizon. This allows the pilot to know which way is up when they lose external visual reference to the ground. See, if their visual reference is lost and the pilot doesn't have a horizon, they can experience what's called the leans. The leans, right? like leaning and 
when they experience uh, the, the leans, if they continue without a horizon, they can end up with the Coriolis illusion. This is something that I was very familiar with because I was a, a medical director of, of uh, 18 helicopters and fixed-wing aircraft uh, for, for uh, nearly two decades, right? So when this happens, when, they get the, when the pilot gets this Coriolis uh, illusion and is completely disoriented to where the, the horizon is, um, the pilot can do, sometimes they'll, uh, air traffic control will see them flying in a circle in a gigantic set of clouds, uh, not knowing which way to go. Really strange when you see that, when they see that on radar. Um, or, uh, of course, they can end up flying directly into the ground or directly into a mountain. Um, so, in fact, on, on pitch black nights, there have been pilots that have been known to chase the light of the bat on the back of a train. Think of that, thinking that it was the light, red light on their wing, and here they are following a train, and they go right into the ground. Here's the key concept. Write it in. When you have no external reference, when you have no external reference, you can't tell the difference between the right way and the wrong way. Let me say that again. And let that sink in. When you have no external reference outside of me, outside of me and I and my, when you have no external reference, you can't tell the difference between the right way and the wrong way. So guess what? Hiking in the woods, plowing a field, maritime navigation, and aviation all make an undeniable announcement to the world. Guess what? Humanity's way is not in themselves. And it is not in the one who walks to direct their own steps. And this has direct spiritual and moral implications, doesn't it? See, the direction in which human, a human ought to go isn't inherently built into a human. The compass isn't in us. The horizon isn't in us. The straight line isn't in us. Nebuchadnezzar walking around on the top of his thing saying how amazing he is and the might of my power and who I am was absolutely wrong. He, in fact, was crazy, right? So without an external frame of reference of God's word, every human, no matter how well-intentioned, will inevitably walk off the cliff, will inevitably decide that wrong is right and right is wrong. What a picture of today. Wrong is right and right is wrong. But this brings up a good question. How does the human conscience factor into this, right? Now, this is important. This isn't inconsistent with the biblical concept of the moral conscience. In Romans chapter 1 and 2, you may know this passage well. The reason that every person knows God, if you unpack that chapter 1, look for it. Every person knows God, knows about God, and knows God's moral law. It says that about every person in Romans chapter 1. And why is it? Because God has placed a sense of right and wrong with them. In fact, in Romans chapter 2, it says that God has written the law on our hearts. So think about this. The conscience itself isn't fundamentally internal. It's been placed from outside God's law within us by God's grace. When we give our life through Christ's sacrifice, and the Holy Spirit comes in us and writes the law on our hearts. It's come from external, just like we've been seeing. So notice, God puts in us from the outside the conscience. In fact, 
All of our own innate desires and our intellect are at war with God-given conscience. Think how often humanity will say, I just can't believe I did that. I, di I knew it was wrong. I ruined my life. Why did I do that? Because our in the me, my, and I, the self, 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 is at war with the law of God, which externally, if allowed to be internal, directs us in the healthy and perfect way. So in medicine, guess what? This picture of what happens to a human who, sins, who ends up with an, out any external frame of reference, right, detached from reality, is shown perfectly in the mental disorder of schizophrenia, right, this acute schizophrenic psychosis. The schizophrenic ends up totally detached from reality outside of themselves, right? So the patient actually lives in their own universe. And in one sense, they're completely autonomous and independent. Think about that. They are all alone, all by themselves. In a certain way, they're completely free, right? No external reference at all. And yet, they're the epitome of mental ill health. So, they're unable to tell the difference between the real and the imaginary. So the voices don't really exist, the voices that they hear, but to them, they're real. And the spiders crawling on the ceiling, they're real to them, even though they don't actually exist. They're the ultimate picture of a human whose way is in themselves. So why are we living in a schizophrenic society where we've completely lost our way? Why are we living in a society, think about this one, a society with a state where the people voted on a referendum of whether porn stars have to wear condoms when they're making movies or not. Imagine that being vote in a state for the people to ask that question. Why are we living in that schizophrenic of a society? Because we've come to believe that the compass is inside of us. We can determine right and wrong. And guess what we're doing? America, my friends, is flying our plane right into the ground. Our loss of the compass of God's word, God's way, and his Holy Spirit saving us from ourselves. Notice, and while we're flying our plane right into the ground, we're saying, all is well, everything's fine. You see, we're surrounded by people who think the right way to live is found in themselves. This whole illusion has profoundly impacted the thinkers of this world. And an, uh, a renowned atheistic philosopher recently wrote this. It's so, uh, it's so um, instructive that I've got it in your notes. Here it is, right in the blanks. We must find our own way. There is no other way, but together we can do this. Ready? We can create an ethic. We can create an ethic. It must come from within ourselves. Remember Judges 21, 25? It was written 3,000 years ago, but it's as contemporary as the latest news on the internet. You ready? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We must find our own way. There is no other way, but together we can do this. We can create an ethic. It must be from within ourselves. 
This description is reminiscent of the prolific atheist Bertrand Russell, right, from Oxford University in the last century. He was in a debate with the amazing Christian philosopher, Father Copleston, and, and he asked him, um, Mr. Russell, how do you tell the difference between right and wrong? Right? He was trying to grapple with this issue of you believe there's no God. You believe everything came from random purposeless forces. So how can there be, there be purpose, meaning, morality, right, right and wrong? So he asked, how do you tell the difference between right and wrong? And Russell said, the same way I tell the difference between red and blue. Copleston, puzzled, said, how do you tell the difference between red and blue? And Russell, this amazing response, said, by feeling. What else? And I love Ravi Zacharias' commentary on what he would ask him if he had been there at that debate with Dr. Russell. Here's what he would have said. Dr. Russell, in some societies, people love their neighbor. In other societies, they eat them. Both of them making their decision based upon feeling. Do you have a personal preference? Can you imagine anything more bankrupt than this? See, humans aren't self-directing. We must have the right way shown to us. So I'd like to end this evening by asking some questions. In your decisions, are you trying to direct your life yourself? Are you trying to determine your own way? Are you making choices based upon your own wisdom or based upon the wisdom of God? Is there any part of your life where you're saying, my way makes more sense to me than God's word, so I'm going to go my way? Any part of your life? Finances? Personal relationships? Sexuality? Marriage? Parenting? Job decisions? What you're viewing with your eyes? your entertainment, anywhere where it's out of step with God's way and God's word because you say, nah, you know, I want my way. So let me ask, are you following God's word in every aspect of your life, even when it doesn't make sense to you and even when you don't like God's way? Or the alternative, are you flying your plane right into the ground? Let me give you a somber warning if you are flying your own plane without God's external reference. If you think that you can fly your plane with your own reference and your own sense of direction and your own inner compass and your own decisions about what's best for you, then you will crash. Listen, no one, and I mean no one, can determine the right direction for their own life. No matter what we think about our ability to make our own choices, the fundamental biblical truth will always stand. It was true in the Garden of Eden. It was true at the time of the judges, everyone doing that which was right in their own eyes. And it was true with Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah said it perfectly. Listen to it again. Humanity's way is not in themselves, nor is it in the one who walks to direct their own steps. Lord, let's pray. Tonight, let me ask you, who's making your decisions? Who's directing your steps? Who's calling the shots in your life? 
Who's making the calls in your life, in your family, in your relationships? Let me ask it this way. Who's flying the plane? Is there any decision, any part of your life where you're showing God that you actually don't, you actually think that your way is in yourself? Let me tell you a truth that's as sure as the law of gravity. You're headed for a crash landing and great will be your fall. You're walking blindfolded and be sure you'll go off the cliff unless, unless you allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to remove the blindfold. So listen to me, church. Humanity's way is not, is not in ourselves. So this evening, ask yourself, who's directing your steps? Oh Lord God, we come before you with you exposing the audacity that humanity thinks that we are self-originating, self-determining, all of these things that we, we ought to have control, that we can determine what's right and wrong, that it's within us and we have the wisdom, we have the ability, and we're going to do this as humans. Lord, thank you for the the amazing way that you exposed us to futility that I can't say I'm the example of humanity because there's never been a single person that explained humanity and that's a beautiful reflection of the amazing truth that while you are the one God, you are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect relationship. So Lord, right now, if there's anyone who is watching or will watch this, who doesn't know you, who've been directing their own paths, who've been going their own way, anyone like that, Lord, I pray that they will simply lay down their plan for directing their own paths and say, oh God, forgive me for my rebellion, for where I have been, and Lord, uh, show me your ways. And Lord, I'll devour your word so that I know your ways and I know your word. And Lord, if there are believers who've already done that, who've received that incredible forgiveness from the atonement of Jesus, Lord, but tonight your spirit has shown them there's something in our life, there's something in their life where they're directing their own paths and they don't want your word or your way, Lord. Convict them. May they repent and turn and return to that incredible health and wholeness and amazing usefulness in your kingdom to help you save your world when we are being like Jesus. Lord, we know we can't do it by our own decision, our own strength, our own power. It takes your Holy Spirit coming in us so that Jesus, you live your power in us. Lord, we ask you to do that amazing miracle right now. We love you, Lord. Amen.